1: Bah, 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 bah. what's up you guys welcome back to another episode of the two tongues podcast podcast where today we're going to talk about drugs you heard me right drugs on the agenda today not just any kind of drugs however we're going to talk about soma we're going to talk about soma soma is an interesting drug because it's one that uh, has very deep historical roots it goes basically back to the beginning of recorded history. Um, it has a presence in uh, ancient India and Iran in particular, and um, it's, it's, its recipe, whatever that might be, is lost to history. We have no idea what Soma is or was. A couple of pop culture references that come to mind. Uh, Brave New World is one of them. If anybody's ever re- uh, read uh, the Aldous Huxley novel Brave New World, it's sort of like this dystopian future, and um, one of the ideas in the book is that people are kept docile, and um, the government, you know, is able to keep control over uh, over the people, or the, the people are able to remain tame in their society, even though they live uh, very strange lives, very very fake, you know, unnatural lives, and they get over their anxiety, and they get over uh, their fear and uh, restlessness and all of that by consuming SOMA, and they don't say really what that is in Brave New World either. Obviously, a work of fiction, but human beings eat the Soma. All their worries go away. All their anxieties go away. All their questions go away. They're satisfied and docile. And uh, so you've maybe heard of it before. Um, I mean, I, I heard of it before. I, I was interested in Zoroastrianism, which is that religion from ancient Iran that I mentioned Um In fact, one of the very, well, the very first tattoo I I ever got was of a phrase uh, from the Avesta, which is their holy book of the Zoroastrians. Uh, Another interesting tidbit about them, Um, if you're a Christian and you know the story of uh, the nativity, the wise men, the magi that come to see baby Jesus when he's born, wise men from the east, Uh, many people don't realize that they were Zoroastrian priests. That's That's what they called them, the magi. Um, anyway, so like, the interesting history here is that ancient India and ancient Iran have um, connections with their l- language. Sanskrit and Avestan are very similar languages. Uh, in fact, they're really similar. Many of the words themselves are identical. When 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 we start talking about the Vedas, which are the hind- oldest Hindu holy books, the oldest oldest holy books that that we know about that we still have, very very ancient. And the Avesta, the, the ancient um, Zoroastrian holy book, um, they will use, like for, as an example, the word Deva. The word Deva in, uh, in uh, the, the Vedas, in the Hindu tradition, really just means God. And the word Veda in Zoroastrian religion, it, well, it kind of means demon or devil, something like that. There are supernatural creatures, but not the good kind. <laughs> They're gods, but not the good kind. Um, so there's, there's lots of overlap between them and we're going to talk a little bit about that in the beginning uh but what i really want to get into is a couple of strange things i noticed when i started reading the vedas so this was recent um and i've had interest in hinduism for a long time but i never read the vedas and they are uh you know the the most important holy books of hinduism so I bought a copy. I started reading it. It's very intimidating. There's lots of stuff about it that's difficult. It's a lot to read. First of all, there's several books uh, that make up the Vedas, and um, the language is an obstacle for me. So, with any kind of religious or philosophical work, there's lots, lots of times there's words that are that are used in unusual ways, or words that you've never heard before, or there's words that don't translate exactly into English or into modern English. Let's say so. That's that comes up a lot in the Vedas. There, there are Sanskrit words in the Vedas that there aren't great English translations for, and so they keep them in. So I'm reading, I'm reading the English hymns, let's say, and I come across a word that I don't know um, because it's a Sanskrit word. So we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk through that as best we can. But, but what I noticed is that when you start reading the Vedas, they are hymns. The very first section is hymns. You know, you can think about. The hymns that you would sing in church they're kind of like prayers they're kind of like poems not not dissimilar from um, the, like reading proverbs or something uh, but uh, but they're prayers or songs of a religious nature and each one of the hymns is dedicated to a certain God and I'm reading through them and what I, what I noticed right away is that the word soma appears everywhere so I knew. That Soma was, had a role in the mythology of Hinduism. I knew that. I, did, I didn't expect it to be so prevalent. So that was a little bit of a surprise to me. And I'm going to give you some context on that, but it was a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, the other thing I noticed is that the way that the hymns or these prayers are written, you know, the, the way that they speak, is it's different than the way a Christian or a Jew uh, or Muslim would speak. It's much more similar to what you'd expect from an old classical polytheistic religion like the ancient Greeks or Romans or Babylonians or something like that. And um, it's hard for me to reconcile that with the type of like radical monotheism that I think is at the heart of Hinduism. At least the upanishads and the vedanta stuff that i really like and talk about sometimes on the podcast the kind of the really hippy dippy you know god is one uh, everything's you know everything's one kind of talk that we get into you hear that a lot in the upanishads they come after the vedas so there's some sort of trans transition period there's some sort of reinterpretation maybe that's going on and i'm just trying to wrap my head around it it's not it's not so easy but what, what puts this over the top for me as far as being interesting is the fact that Soma is considered to be, uh, by most scholars, a psychedelic drug. So it was something that was offered as a sacrifice to the gods, which we're going to see a lot when we, we, we read some of these hymns together. Um, it was also something that was consumed by the priests. So, you know, you can imagine if in, in classical religions, maybe you're sacrificing an animal. Maybe you're sacrificing, like, the first fruits. Uh, so once we became agricultural, that's one of the things we would do. You know, the first fruits of the harvest, we'd take them to the temple. We'd give them to the gods um, as a sacrifice. You know, it's like, I'm going to give you the first and best of my harvest, and hopefully you'll bless me with a, with, you know, with a good harvest, that kind of thing. And what people maybe don't realize is that the priests who operated those temples When you bring an animal to sacrifice, or when you bring first fruits offering, or something like that, um, especially with the animals, they're going to be burned usually, and they're not burned to ash; they're burned, and so the sweet, savory smell goes up to the gods and. Um, you know, if anybody who's sat around a campfire understands what that, where that comes from, the idea that the smoke and the smell is being carried upwards into the sky, into the heavens, and so this is a way for you to communicate from earth to God. You can send your messages and you can send your prayers on the smoke of the sacrifice. That kind of thing. What people don't often realize is that once that ritual's over. You know, once you've dropped off your fruit offering or your harvest offering or burnt your animal sacrifice and you leave, what happens to that? The gods aren't swooping down in ethereal form and swallowing up your sacrifices, but the priests are. The priests are going to consume those sacrifices. That doesn't go to waste. You know, and so that's one of the ways that you pay as a society to have a priestly class that doesn't really work. They're not farmers, they're not, they're not craftsmen, they're not producing anything. So how do they get to exist? Well, off charity, basically, off of your sacrifices. And this is how it was in the old days. So when Soma was given to the gods, and the priests then turn around and consume what's left after the ritual— the priests are then having a psychedelic trip. There's no doubt about it. No no doubt in my mind. So I want to get into that. I want to ask you as we read through these hymns and we pay attention to the way they talk about Soma, what you think, do you think it's a psychedelic drug? Do you think, what do you think about the connection between the type of experience that, that people say they have, these mystical and psychedelic experiences, and the origins of these kind of religious stories. How are they connected? Do you see the connection? Now before we jump into it, I'll tell you that there are a lot of names of gods uh, that you, if you're not a Hindu, you probably don't know. So I'll do my best to explain to you um, a little bit. You know, I, I don't know it deeply, but I'll, I'll explain to you a little bit as I, as I go along. And if there are any words that are Sanskrit, I'll try to do the same. Um, a lot of these hymns, especially the first one we read, are going to be dedicated to Indra, a god uh, Indra. There's also a god named Vayu that that is associated with Indra. And in fact, sometimes the god is even referred to as Indra Vayu, as though it's one name. And uh, that may sound strange, but just think about like ancient Egypt. You know, they had multiple sun gods, Amun and Ra. And eventually that God became known as Amun Ra. It's like, yeah, okay, so if you, you're calling this God one name and we're calling it another, we recognize it's the same God. We're going to kind of put them together. So that's not unusual. The other thing to remember about Hinduism, and this is not super well known, uh, and maybe it's controversial, but at least certain groups of Hindus really are monotheists, really, really deeply. They are Monotheists They believe that God is one, that there is only one God. And yet, in Hinduism, there are thousands and thousands of different deities. So it's important to remember that from a Hindu perspective, the gods sort of roll up into one another, or they represent different aspects of the divine, whatever that might be. You know, maybe it's a certain aspect of nature, or maybe it's the, the creator idea, or something like that. And each one of these gods might represent an aspect But deep down, they're all Brahma. All the gods are Brahma. All the gods are one. All right, so... Well, we we will talk about Indra and Vayu here in the beginning and just understand they're both gods of the sky. Vayu is more more a god of the wind, but they're both associated with the sky, okay? Uh, And so they're associated with one another. That's how Indra Vayu becomes one god. Also... Indra is called, in the hymns that I've read so far, he's called the thunderer. He's also called the thunder-armed, and he's called the king of the gods. So I want you to understand that when we're talking about the sky god Indra, there's a lot of parallels between Indra and Zeus, or Jupiter if you're Roman. right? He's the thunder-wielding god that's the king of all of the gods. All right, so... So what is Soma? It seems, to be, it seems to be the food of the gods. It's something that is offered to the gods. It's something that's offered to entice the gods to be present during your rituals. So it's something that they want. It's the food of the gods. And it's associated with immortality. It's associated with the fact that the gods are immortal. Gods are associated with the Soma. And the gods are immortal. So that's one thing you you need to understand as we read through this. Soma has a connection to immortality, and that's interesting. So was it psychedelic? Was Soma a psychedelic substance? I'm going to leave that up to you to decide, but I think think it was. Um, And what does it mean that psychedelic experience is associated with immortality of the gods and with invoking their presence? You know, Soma... If it's psychedelic, which I think it is, it's associated with, you know, immortality and it's associated with the gods or being in the presence of the gods. And so I I guess I want to ask if that fits what we know about psychedelic experience. If you've heard me talk about this before, you know that my answer to that question is yes. When you have a psychedelic mystical experience, not that every psychedelic experience is mystical, But if you have one that is mystical, you will feel as though you're in the presence of the gods. You will feel as though you are existing in a realm that is not the the sober, you know, material uh, cosmos. You exist somehow spiritually, somehow um, differently than you do ordinarily. And you may even feel like not just that you're in the presence of the gods or that you encounter the gods, although that's certainly the case. You may even experience yourself to be God. And so if if Soma is associated with immortality and, and being in the presence of the gods, I ask, might that be a psychedelic experience? Okay, so what is we're gonna we're gonna be reading from the Rig Veda. It's the oldest and the first of the Vedas. It's a very, very ancient holy book. Older than our Bible by a long shot. And it tells us some details about soma. And I just want to share with you that we don't know what plant soma was made from or what combination of plants it was made from. We do know that ancient, even primitive, relatively primitive people have been able to discover, I guess is the right word, complex mixtures that are psychedelic. The best example of this is ayahuasca in the Amazon. It requires two plants, not one. And, and the, 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 um, the MEO inhibitor plant that allows it to be psychoactive by, by drinking it, um, that's a whole different plant and something that you know, has to be very deliberately mixed with this other drug. It's not like any other plant will, will do. It has to be a certain type of plant. How do they figure that out? It's very, very, very difficult to, to understand. What the Rig Veda tells us about soma, it uses the word cut grass, it also uses the word sacred grass. It uses the word Darba grass as though it's a certain type of grass. It also says that it's mixed with curds. So it's some sort of like milk is being mixed with it. Whether that's important or not, I don't know. You can imagine if uh, I know people like Joe Rogan have talked about, um, and, and Kyle and I have talked about it as well, but the uh, the idea that uh, of the Amanita muscaria mushroom that's the uh, red and white mushroom that's associated with Santa Claus. It's one of those things where the reindeer would eat it, and then the other reindeer and eventually the reindeer herder notices that when they eat these mushrooms and they urinate, that the other reindeer will eat the snow that the urine is on. And you know at some point, historically, the reindeer herder ate the urine and tripped his balls off. So you can imagine maybe mixing the milk with the grass might be important if the, if the cows were eating something that put the substance in the milk. Uh, it's no uh, s- secret that um, psilocybin mushrooms uh, grow on cow patties. People who look for them will often go specifically looking for cow patties to find them, so they're around cows. Cows are also considered to be very sacred in India, especially in certain areas but among certain groups So all of this is interesting to me. Is it in the milk? Is it in the grass? What kind of grass? I don't know. Another thing that I remember Joe Rogan saying at one point, talking about uh, ayahuasca, is that dimethyltryptamine, the the chemical in ayahuasca that's psychoactive, that it's found abundantly in grass. Just the grass that's outside your house growing in your front yard. Abundantly. So if there's a way for us to to make that uh, digestible, to make it psychoactive by eating it, by drinking it in this case. Uh, maybe maybe it's in the grass. Maybe it's in the milk. Maybe it's in the combination. Maybe it's both. I don't know. But I find all that pretty interesting. Whatever plant it was that Soma was made from, that's been lost. We have no idea. what. If it was the grass, what type of grass, what Darba grass is, no idea. We cannot recreate it. We don't have any idea. But it was the primary sacrifice to the gods, and again once the sacrifice was completed it was consumed by the priests and the sacrifice offerer presumably for hallucinogenic effect i can imagine like the ancient greeks right going to the temple of delphi to talk to the priestess to get i don't know um you know to, for to have her tell them the future that that's a common a common scenario and the priestess goes and she breathes in the gases in the cave she comes back out she's, she's tripping and she is uh, communing with the gods she's able to get information or favor from the gods and so presumably if the priests or the sacrificer are doing that that's why because they want to have a hallucinogenic experience they want to come into the presence of the gods they want you know, to have those gifts bestowed upon them Now, when we look away from Hinduism, when we look at ancient Iran and the Zoroastrian religions, um, their holy book doesn't call it Soma. It calls it Homa. And uh, Yasna 9 of the Avesta, which is their holy book, it says that Homa bestows spiritual power and knowledge. Spiritual power and knowledge. You eat or you drink, rather, the Soma brew. And from it, you get spiritual power and knowledge. I don't know about you, but have you ever felt that way after consuming anything? Any food? Have you ever felt that way after consuming a magical mushroom or something like that? So you see what where the weight of evidence is falling towards this being psychoactive. And because the soma is connected to the gods and immortality specifically, it reminds you of all kinds of other things from different religious, ancient religious traditions. It reminds you of the tree of life, right, from the book of Genesis. So Adam and Eve eat from the tree of knowledge. and Then God says, look guys, you got to get out of this garden. You're, you you got to go. Why? To keep the way of the tree of life. That's what the Bible says. To keep Adam and Eve from eating of the tree of life. So what is that? presumably, will give them immortality, will make them gods or something like gods. And that brings me to the apples of Hesperides, which comes from, the, from ancient Greek mythology, specifically the myth of Hercules, where he has to go to the realm of the gods. He has to go to the garden of Hesperides and find the golden apples there that grow on the tree. They're the food of the gods. The gods eat them, and it, and it sustains their immortality might also remind you of the Epic of Gilgamesh from ancient Babylon, you know, one of the oldest myths in the world. And uh, the hero of the story goes in search of the herb of immortality. So all of these things, the tree of life, the apples of Hesperides, the herb of immortality, all of these things are plants associated with both the gods and immortality. And this is what we have with Soma. It's also associated with, with other. Well, certainly, I think psychoactive substances that were associated with ancient religious traditions, the the kykeon brew, of of Eleusis. So that that has to do with the, um, um, what we were just talking about, the, um, um, the the, the oh shit, the Temple of Apollo, the Cirrus, um, D- Delphi. Simpl- the, yeah, exactly. The the uh, uh, oracle of Delphi. So you've got this kykeon brew that they would drink and have ritual experiences. You've got peyote mushrooms um, in the American Southwest. You've got all kinds of, of things that were deeply connected to religious rituals, and they were almost certainly psychedelic. <laughs> So that brings me to the Vedas. I'm going to read for you a series of excerpts from the Rig Veda. These are the hymns, okay? So I want to be respectful, um, but I want to give you my opinion. I'm going to give you the pieces of these hymns that talk about Soma as as best I can, and we'll talk through them. And I want you to notice how often it comes up. So all of these hymns are numbered. And hymn number two of the Rig Veda reads like this. Beautiful Vayu, come. For thee these Soma drops have been prepared. Drink of them. Hearken to our call. Knowing the days with Soma juice poured forth, the singers glorify thee, Vayu, with their hymns of praise. Vayu, thy penetrating stream goes forth unto the worshipper, far spreading for, for Soma drought. These in Vayu have been shed. Come for our offered dainty's sake. The drops are yearning for you both. Vayu and Indra, come to what the Soma Presser hath prepared. So you can see here, they're praying to the god Vayu, they're praying to the god Indra, and they're saying, come, I've I've prepared the Soma for you. Come, drink of it and come. And so it's like a pleading for the gods to come, to be in their presence during this ritual there's something about that that's strange to me and we'll get into it in a bit um the idea that the idea that the gods would have to be persuaded to come to you and that god isn't simply omnipresent right i think of god to be in the judeo-christian sense you know constantly present you know everywhere at all times simultaneously all at once god is always present and, and this perspective is an older perspective. It's a more ancient perspective that, that God isn't behind, let's say everything that exists and within yourself, but rather something that is somewhere else in this spiritual realm and can come but has to be persuaded, something like that. It's what it's what sacrifice and ritual seems to be about. Uh, okay, so that's hymn number two. Let's move on to hymn number three. He says, ye Asphens, and I just have to tell you, Asphens, I didn't know, maybe I'm pre- mispronouncing it, but these are, the, these are twin gods, and they're gods of medicine, so you can see that they're closely associated with plants and herbal you know, med- medicines, so Soma would be right up their alley. So this is another prayer specifically to them, ye Asphens, accept the sacrificial food. O Indra, come, these libations long for thee. Ye Vesidevas, come hither quickly to the draft. Uh, Visidevas is just a word they use that means the community of the gods. So it's like they're saying all of the gods. Ye Visidevas, come hither quickly to the draft. The Visidevas changing shape like serpents except the sacred draft. All right, so there's one thing here at the end that I think is interesting. The Vesodeva changing shape like serpents, except the draft. I mean, there's some things that are peripheral, like serpents. You know, serpents are associated with um, the Garden of Eden. We just talked about the Tree of Life, the serpent there protecting the Tree of Knowledge. There's a, a connection, maybe, to the Tree of Life and serpents, and we see the same thing here. But more importantly, this idea of changing shape. That's something that happens all of the time. It's reported all of the time in psychedelic experience. What happens when someone's tripping on LSD? What happens when somebody's tripping on magic mushrooms or DMT? Things move in ways that are unnatural. Things blend together and change into other shapes. There's very often sort of morphing and kaleidoscopic colors and patterns that are talked about, in particular with DMT. So, you've got this idea of changing shapes. Something like a psychedelic vision comes to my mind. And because we're talking about changing shapes like serpents, I also want to talk about therianthropes in this context. Like, you know, therianthropes are half human, half animal creatures, and they appear in religious traditions everywhere since the very beginning of, of time. I mean, even in the ancient uh, Sumerian and Babylonian times, the Lamasu were these human-headed, you know, lion-bodied, winged creatures, not unlike sphinxes from ancient Egypt. But they're also present in, for instance, completely unrelated cultures like in, in, you know, uh, the Native American groups. You can look at things like totem poles. They're like, you know, mixtures of animals and human and animal creatures. They would wear animal masks and therianthrope masks when they were doing their dances and rituals. So you see these, these The idea of transforming or morphing or changing, especially from animal to human form, this is something that is very common in in religious traditions. So, changing shapes like serpents, to me, may be an indication that what we're talking about is a psychedelic vision of some kind. All right, so we looked at hymn two and three. Here's hymn four Come thou to our libations, drink of soma. Somer drinker thou, neglectest not, come hitherward. Thou Sat- Satakratu drankest this and wast the vitra slayer. Okay, so Satakratu is, is the title of the god Indra, so it's just a way of saying Indra, but that word actually, I looked it up, it means somebody who's made a hundred sacrifices. So it's like a special title. So you might just say, Thou Indra drankest this and was the vitre slayer. What is that? Vritras, what is that that is the the dragon demon the personification of evil and the leader of a group of deities that oppose the gods in in the earliest hindu stories so you've got the god slaying the personification of evil that's a really common religious idea god versus the devil um in zoroastrianism it's uh um Ahura Mazda versus Ariman, that kind of thing, God and Satan. Um uh, that you know, that sort of motif. And God, of course, conquers the personification of evil. And this is what Indra does to Vitrus. So there's, but it's not just that he did it, right? It's Indra drank the Soma and killed the dragon slayer. It's like Soma is involved in, in Indra's triumph over the personification of evil god defeats the devil because of soma or with the help of soma so there's something something there something about overcoming evil conquering evil so when it says indra drank the soma and and became the the dragon slayer that's like drink this and conquer evil something like that and conquering evil is an interesting idea. Conquering death is an interesting idea. And these are things we're going to talk about a lot today. Because I don't think that practically, I don't think that conquering evil or conquering death means what we think it means or what we want it to mean. It doesn't mean that we get that that we can extend our mortal lives forever, or that we can or that we can get rid of evil permanently. What it seems to mean is that there's a way of understanding what evil is. And there's a way of understanding what life is that allows you to conquer your fear of it, that allows you to reconceptualize it. Um, And you could call that conquering it, but it's not what we think it is. Hymn number five. So notice, Two, three, four, five. Now we're on hymn number five, all of which said said so much about Soma and its importance. Hymn five says, Indra, with Soma juice outpoured, may he stand by us in our need. Near to the Soma drinker come, for his enjoyment these pure drops. Thou was born to drink the Soma juice, strong Indra for preeminence. Thou was born to drink the Soma juice. Isn't that an interesting thing to say about the god? The, you know, not just any god, the king of the gods. Hymn number eight. His belly drinking deepest droughts of soma, like an ocean swell, like wide streams from heaven. Let louds and praise be to Indra sung that he may drink the soma juice. Hymn number nine. Come, Indra, and delight thee with the juice at all the Soma feasts. To Indra, pour yet forth the juice, the active gladdening juice to him, the gladdening, omnific God, present at these drink offerings. A couple things here. The gladdening juice I find to be interesting, but let me hold on that for a second. So when they're talking about Indra, they call him the omnific God. That just means the God responsible for everything, the all-creating God. Back to gladdening juice. If anybody's had a psychedelic experience, and this isn't exclusive to psychedelic experience, maybe other, other types of intoxicants will, will be similar, but certainly with psychedelics, we have this sort of an experience. You might call it gladdening juice. What I mean is, having a psychedelic experience is, is it can be a euphoric experience. It has a euphoric effect, and it reminds me of the extreme joy of a peak psychedelic mystical experience. There's a, a certain sensation at the peak, at the deepest and most intense part of an ego death and a psychedelic experience, where you feel a kind of joy that I can't really tell you in words. It's completely overwhelming. It's completely all-consuming. And what it is you're joyful about is something like understanding what you are, what, what reality is, how you fit into it, and what your purpose is. There's something about that that is knowing it. you know, And it's not something that you can really communicate. As you can see, I'm struggling to do. But knowing it in that experience is the most joyful thing you can imagine. It's a feeling of awe, and it often comes with uncontrollable smiling and and laughing and the and the laughing part is is strange because what you're laughing about often is the absurdity of human knowledge in comparison to that mystic enlightenment. It's like funny how you how you thought the world is what you thought was possible, and how valuable you thought your knowledge was and then you see in retrospect that your knowledge is nothing and the way you thought the world was is so pathetically incomplete that you couldn't even imagine it's like laughing at a child who's trying to explain to you something they don't understand by making up a story you know and you, as a parent, you laugh like, you know, that's really creative of you to come up with that idea, but it's complete nonsense. And you chuckle about it like, the kid, you know, kids are naive and, and creative and adorable. And that's how you feel in, in a mystical experience. Like everything you've ever thought is, is laughable. Also, Also, part of that that makes it laughable is like this profound obviousness it's like what you're experiencing in a mystical experience is is never hidden it's never secret it's always right in front of your face every moment of your life is 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 evidence of it and we are so used to it it's like we can't see it we can't see what's right in front of our face and when you when that veil gets pulled away in a mystical experience and you're confronted with it it's like oh yeah and it's so fucking hilarious to you that you couldn't see it before. That brings me to hymn number 10: "Indra, soma drinker, come to listen to our songs of praise. Good Indra, make our prayers succeed, and prosper this our sacrifice. O Indra, drink our libation with delight. Prolong our life anew, and cause the seer to win a thousand gifts. Okay, so prolong our life anew is kind of interesting. First of all, a new life reminds me of being reborn. And that, of course, is at the heart of, of the Christian experience, to be born again. So to prolong our life, also connected to this idea of immortality, the tree of life, the herb of immortality, the food of the gods. And then there's this bit here, and cause the seer to win a thousand gifts. And this this goes directly to a mystical experience. It goes directly back to the idea of um, um, that you know the the, the prophets um, and the uh, and the seers of our of our ancient religious traditions that we we go into this altered state of consciousness. We tra- we we like a um, shaman would would maybe uh, go go out of his body and go up into the heavens, something like that, or um, or you would find yourself transported to a spiritual reality, like the way you might feel if you. If you did some DMT, let's say, Um, and when you have this strange psychedelic experience and you have intuitions and enlightenments that are happening in that experience where you feel like you're let in on the secret of all these questions that you always seem to be unanswerable to you, like, like, what is it that I am? and does God exist? What is God? And how do I relate to God? And what is the cosmos? And what is reality? And all of these questions seem just instantly answered when you're in that experience. Those are the gifts, right? Those are the thousand gifts that you can have um, in, that, in that experience. People like Jordan Peterson will talk about this as well. The, he'll talk about, symbolically, about the world being made up of chaos and order, And that where the new things are to be found, where the novel things are to be found, are back in that chaos where we came from, the place that we're afraid to go, the place where we, where our ego dies and we aren't ourself anymore. It's like these mythological stories of going into the underworld, right? You go there and you bring back something valuable. You go into your unconscious, as Carl Jung might say, and you find there valuable, valuable gifts that you never could have, could have discovered in your sober waking life. You go deep into yourself into the chaos and you bring from there some treasure. And this is the story of um you know the 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 mythological story of, fi- of fighting the dragon, the dragon of chaos and bringing home the treasure, the gold or the virgin. This is what we mean. The gifts we're talking about in those in those stories are not virgins and gold. They're the answers to the deepest questions that, that are possible to ask. So the thousand gifts are the gifts of visionary experience. And that's mystical insight of the nature of God and the cosmos or revelations of the future or novel ideas or inventions. You know, some people will say that, you know, they fell, they, they hit their head or something and they, they, you know, uh, woke up and they, uh, wrote a song or, or, Or carved a a painting, uh, carved a sculpture, painted a painting, or invented an invention. Where did that come from? Came from the unconscious somewhere, somehow. I don't know. in the In the uh, Greek, um, in the ancient Greek world, they they talked about the muses in a similar way. It's like they're getting artistic things, you know, new ideas. you know, the source of art and music, that all these things are, are inspired, and you feel that way. When, when it happens to you, you feel inspired. You feel like you're filled with the spirit. Something is working through you. Any artist, any writer, if you talk to them about that flow state they get into, they will tell you that it's as though they are not doing it, that something is doing it through them. And, if, and the Greeks called, the, called them the muses. And I think this is very much related to this sort of psychedelic experience. You're tapping into something like that when you're in a flow state. You're tapping into that unconscious realm, the realm of chaos. All right, so I'm reading through these hymns like I just showed you. We got through the first 10 hymns of the Rig Veda, and I keep seeing Soma over and over and over again appearing in hymn after hymn after hymn. And then I was flipping through the Vedas, and I found a hymn to Soma, right? So all of the hymns are dedicated to a God. And then I come across a hymn that is not dedicated to a God exactly, but to Soma, as if, as if Soma were a God. And this is hymn 91. So let me read this to you. Thou, Soma, are preeminent for wisdom. Along the straightest path, thou art our leader. Our wise forefathers, by thy guidance... Dealt out their share of treasure. Thou art strong by thine energies and all-possessing. Mighty art thou by all thy powers and greatness. Thine are King Varuna's eternal statutes. All-pure art thou beloved, O Soma. Thou Soma art the vitre slayer. Thou art auspicious energy. And Soma, let it be thy wish that we may not die. Lord of plants art thou, to him who keeps the law, thou givest energy that he may live. Well skilled in speech, we magnify thee, enricher, healer of disease. Be Soma a good friend to us. In thee be juicy nutriments united, and powers and mighty foes subduing vigor, waxing to immortality. The spacious firmament hast thou expanded, and with the light. Thou hast dispelled the darkness. It's a good one, guys. That is a good one. So that's a hymn to Soma. A couple things here. Second line that says, Our wise forefathers by thy guidance dealt out their share of treasure. By the guidance of who? By the guidance of Soma. Right? He's saying our ancestors took the Soma like we're taking it today. And they brought many treasures home from that trip. You know, And there's all kinds of stories, religious stories, about civilization be, being given to human beings by the gods. And I wonder if those things aren't coming from these, from psychedelic experiences. Because those stories like, um, like um, I'm trying to think of the book, uh, apocryphal book from the Bible, the book of Enoch um, is exactly that. It talks about how the angels come down and they teach human beings how to make metal, how to make um, medicines and poisons from plants, how to read the stars, how to, how to foretell the seasons, um, how, to, how, to do, how to make you know, uh, all ornaments and makeup and all kinds of things. They're, they're showing human beings how to make culture. The same stories are associated with Prometheus from ancient Greece. You know, he brings the fire to humankind uh, from which they, they you know, are able to make weapons and able to, to make fire and able to cook their meat and all kinds of things. You can see how culture is, is sort of a gift from, from the gods. This is how it's seen in, in you know, antiquity. And I think this is exactly what we're seeing in Hymn 91 of the Rig Veda. Our wise forefathers, by the guidance of Soma, dealt out their share of treasure. Alright, he says thine are king Varuna's eternal statutes. So it's important to know Varuna is the is a god of the sky and the rain, but he's also a god of the law and of the underworld. So when it says thine are king Varuna's eternal statutes, those are the laws. Right? So the laws by which you know the followers of the Vedas were supposed to live their lives, they're bestowed by the king, this king Varuna character, right? but they they come from Soma through him, so it's like a burning bush scenario, also commonly talked about as a a, a a visionary psychedelic experience. You think about Moses going up to the top of the mountain, you know a, a religious aesthetics often are going are going out into the wilderness on their own so that they through usually sleep deprivation and starvation, ha- have a mystic experience of the psychedelic type. And this is what happens to Moses when he goes up on top of the mountain by himself and comes down with what? With the law from God. So imagine this being a parallel. Moses has an has a, uh, altered state of conscious mystical experience on the top of a mountain. King Varuna ha- has the same through Soma Both of these characters bring the law to bear, to tell people, this is what I experienced of God, and this is how we should treat each other, and this is how we should behave, this is what we should do and shouldn't do. And anybody who's had a mystical experience knows that there is a component like that. It usually has to do with love, doesn't it? People will say, when they have a psychedelic mystical experience... Everything is love. The world is love. Love is all that matters. Love is the force of, you know, that, of life and, and being, that kind of thing. So what does that mean? It means treat your, love your neighbor as yourself, like Jesus said, doesn't it? That's what it means. That's a law that comes from mystical experience. Treat your neighbor as yourself because he, he or she is yourself. That's a mystical insight and also, and also a moral law. Then he says, all pure art, thou beloved Osoma. And you have to understand that artists very often are drug users. And you might wonder why. Because having drug experiences, like the Alex Gray art that you see on the wall behind me, um, you know, that kind of thing, novel ideas and novel um, images, those things come from artists. And, and and Jordan Peterson always likes to say that artists are on the vanguard of this movement from chaos to order. They're the people that ride the wave right in the middle. They're the first ones to see these ideas, to bring novel new things to to bear. And where does it come from? It comes from the unconscious. It comes from the spiritual realm, the realm of the gods. And how do the the artists tap into that? Very often through drug use. And then hymn 19 says, Soma art the vitra slayer. Remember, that's Indra who's the vitreous slayer. but here they're saying Soma is the thing that conquers the the embodiment of evil. Soma conquers evil. And then it says, let it be thy wish that we may not die. Eternal life again. Reminds me of John 3.16, right? From the Bible. For God so loved the love the the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not die, but have eternal life. There you have it. And then it's He's more to the point a little bit later when He says, "Waxing to immortality, the spacious firmament hast Thou expanded, and with the light Thou hast dispelled the darkness." Now this is an interesting bit here because. The spacious firmament, hast thou expanded? I mean, we, first of all, there's an idea of expanding your mind, which comes with psychedelic experience, and we see that kind of language here as well. But I think that's peripheral. I think what's important here is the firmament, the expansion of the firmament. What does that mean? We, we see the same language in the Bible, by the way. When God creates the heavens and the earth, he creates the firmament. That's that space. That's the place where things can exist. And that is expanded so that we can fill it with things. We can fill it with, with reality. And with the light thou hast dispelled the darkness. Again, right from Genesis, God creates the sun, right? Creates the light. Let there be light. And those connections are interesting, but what's more interesting is the fact that it's Soma doing it. So here in this hymn, in this prayer, Who's getting credit for the spacious firmament being expanded and the light dispelling the darkness? Soma is. Isn't that interesting? We can also think when we're talking about dispelling the darkness that the word enlightenment comes to mind. You know, when people have mystical experiences, enlightenment is a very easy word to come across. That's how it feels. It feels like the darkness has been dispelled. The veil has been pulled from over our eyes, and we've seen something deeper, something more true. Light has been cast on what was previously unknowable and completely in the dark. Something like that. All right, so I do want to read one more um, hymn. This one, I don't actually know what number it is. Um, I haven't got to it yet. Like I said, it's a very big book, but it is from the Rig Veda. It was uh, given to me by a friend on Twitter, uh, David. Shout out to Shakti Das 108 on Twitter. Um, He sent this one to me, and I want to read it to you. Like gusts of wind, the drafts I have drunk have lifted me. Have I not drunk the Soma juice? The heavens and the earth themselves have not grown equal to one half of me. Have I not drunk the Soma juice? I and my grandeur have surpassed the heavens and all this spacious earth. Have I not drunk the Soma juice? I, greatest of the mighty ones, am lifted to the firmament. Have I not drunk the Soma juice? Fuck, man. So that one's, that one's good. That, that repeating second line kind of makes it dramatic, and I like that. But here we have some interesting things. This is another hymn about Soma or to Soma, and it opens like this. Like violent gusts of wind, the droughts I have drunk have lifted me. The heavens and the earth themselves have not grown equal to one half of me. Okay, so this is interesting because what we see here is a kind of an out-of-body experience being being talked about. Like violent gusts of winds, I have been lifted, right? And this is what people say. I mean, this is what... um, we read and we talked about Sir Humphrey Davy, who had psychedelic mystical experience. Um, I can't remember what he was ether or what he was what he was uh, some kind of gas he was he was uh, inhaling, and then also um, Emmanuel Swedenborg. Uh, both of those characters, mystical mystical characters, but respectable characters, um, they talked exactly like this about the feeling of being of being violently lifted up into the heavens or violently lifted out of your body having this flying or floating or disembodied experience. And anybody who's ever had a psychedelic experience, if you've had if you've had a DMT trip in particular, you are not in your body. You are not on earth. You you are still aware, you know, there 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 was a transition that happened, but it wasn't a transition of your awareness. Like you didn't have a break of being there. You just found yourself suddenly not in any familiar body or space. You know, you're in a whole different environment. And you certainly don't have your body with you. So this, I think, is really interesting. More evidence that soma was a psychedelic substance. But then we have this bit that might, <laughs> you might call it, um, well, he uses the word grander in here. I mean, you might find this to be a little off-putting. Um, the heavens and the earth themselves have not grown equal to one half of me. It's kind of a braggish sort of a thing. Um, in my grandeur, I and my grandeur have surpassed the heavens and all the spacious earth. However, that that seems braggish. But in reality, when you have a mystic experience, people say that they feel as though they're one with the universe or that they have become God or that they have become one with everything. All of these things are synonyms as far as I'm concerned. But when that happens, you do feel yourself to be the greatest possible thing, infinite and limitless and potent and powerful in ways that you can't even imagine. You, you feel as though you became the essence of creation, the essence of the universe, whatever that is. And you're existing within all of it, all at once, and it's infinite. It's an incredible, incredible feeling. And in, if you felt that way, then it no longer sounds so strange when you, when you hear the words, the heavens and the earth have not grown equal to half of me. You're like yes, exactly. Have I not drunk the soma juice? Well, that brings me to another another part of the Vedas. This is a la- a latter part of the Vedas. I'm probably going to mispronounce it, so <coughs> I'll do my best. It's called the Black Yajur and then there's a, I don't know if this is maybe like the way they talk about verses, but it's, it's in Condon 6. I want to read this to you. He makes a hall with beams pointing east. The gods and men divide the quarters. The sacrificer approaches the world of the gods. He covers it over for the world of the gods is hidden from the world of men. It is not easy, they say, to go from this world. He shaves his head and beard. He trims his nails. He bathes in the waters. He sips water. Verily, he becomes pure within. He who consecrates himself approaches Soma as his deity. He says, Thou art the body of the Soma. Guard my body. Verily, with all the gods, he consecrates him. Verily, he consecrates himself with breath with it he approaches the sacrifice the man who is consecrated has fallen from this world and yet not gone to the world of the gods he says let the lord of <clears throat> excuse me let the lord of thought purify thee the mind is the lord of thought he says let the lord of speech purify thee so this is interesting this is describing how as an individual worshiper, you would go and have the Soma ritual. You would go and and eat the Soma. And you would have to do it this way. And something comes to my mind right away. It's something that a lot of the early psychonauts um, said, that the experience you get out of psychedelics has a tremendous amount to do with set and setting. What you want to get out of it how much you've thought about it, and how you prepare the time and the space to have the experience. And I think that's 100% right on. If you prepare yourself to have a religious experience and you prepare for it by by fasting and by, uh, you know, ritual cleansing and, you know, these kind of things, if you prepare for it ahead of time and you have... The music. I mean, I can tell you one one thing that I will often do is (laughs) strange, but uh, I'll just I'll be honest. If I am going out to have a an experience like this, I will light a candle and I'll put the candle nearby, and I'll put water in a glass and I'll put that nearby, and I'll put some kind of food, usually like some almonds or something, in in a pile nearby. And I, I don't know why I do that. Partly because I think I might be thirsty. Partly because I think I might be hungry. Partly because I think I might have some benefit in staring into the flickering flame, but partly because I want to represent the elements. I want to represent, you know, the transformative element of fire. I want to represent the, the quenching opposite of water and this pure formless thing. I want to have things to meditate on when I'm in that experience. And if you do that, you're going to have at least the likelihood of you having a religious mystical experience are far greater than if you just took a bunch of MDMA and went to a party. You're certainly, almost certainly, not going to have that type of experience. So what what this is really outlining is set and setting and how important it is that you have the right state of mind and the right environment. All right, when he says... He says, the sacrifier approaches the world of the gods. And I think that is um, that is a legitimate way of talking about the way you feel if you are going into a psychedelic experience, especially if you've had one before. You're approaching the world of the gods when you're putting those mushrooms to your lips, let's say. Then it says he covers it. So presumably he covers over the soma. He puts some kind of a sheet over the soma. And it says, Why? For the world of the gods is hidden from the world of men. So symbolically, you cover the Soma, and that represents the veil of perception that you're getting ready. to. When you, when you pull that veil back to eat the Soma, drink the Soma, that's symbolic of pulling the veil of perception back and seeing the world as it is, the objective world as it really is. Not the subjective world that you, that you see every day, but the, what's really there, the God behind the matrix, that kind of thing. And it says it's not easy to go from this world, right? That's that ego death experience. You want to hold on to it. You know, you, that when people resist and they say that they're having a bad trip or they've had a bad trip, it almost always comes back to the idea of resistance. You have to, you have to let yourself go in that experience. You have to voluntarily let yourself go the way that Jesus voluntarily let, let himself be, be killed. You have to let yourself voluntarily go. And when you do that, you realize that by letting the ego go, you are still there. And you realize you aren't your ego. And that's an amazing experience to realize that you aren't your ego. Because most people don't have any idea that they aren't their ego. And the ego doesn't want to die. It hangs on for dear life. It makes you think all kinds of things that make you want to hold on to it. And that's, that, that's a recipe for a bad trip. No, it's not easy to go from this world. And then it says he shaves his head and beard, he trims his nails, he bathes in water, he drinks water to clean out the insides. So he's ritually purifying himself before he goes into this experience. It's set and setting. And here's more evidence about the outer body part. It says, he, uh, he who consecrates himself approaches Soma as his deity. He says, thou art the body of Soma, right? Like the body of Christ when you're holding up the, the, the Eucharist this is the body of the god and then you ask guard my body so thou art the body of soma guard my body what do you mean guard my body well somebody's going to have to look over it because i'm not going to be in it somebody's got to watch it somebody has to make sure i don't die keep an eye on my body while i while i'm having this out of body experience isn't that that isn't that interesting man then this last bit at the end is sort of Philosophical and interesting, um, he says, "Let the Lord of thought purify thee. The mind is the Lord of thought. Let the mind purify you when you're having when you're entering into this soma experience. Let the mind purify you. So I don't I don't know what that means exactly, that the mind can purify you, but the Lord of thought being described as mind, I think is. Natural, you associate mind with thought, but it also lifts up the idea of mind as though it's a deity, the lord of, of thought. And so then you can start thinking about the, the, the thing in you that thinks and speaks. You know, that's your consciousness, that's your spirit, that's the part of you that is God, something like that. And that brings me to my conclusion. So do I think that Soma was a psychedelic substance? Of this I have no doubt. It is described as the bridge between God and mankind. It is quite literally the link connecting us. It is the food of the gods which sustains their immortality, as well as the fire that burns away the veil of perception so that man too can know the secret of immortality. It reveals the God the gods to man and discloses the great secret that man is quite at home in the divine realm. For a plant to transport you to the realm of the gods, to free you from your physical body and bring you into the presence of God, to fill you with gladness and joy, this is proof enough that Soma was psychoactive in the deepest, most mystical sense. But what struck me with the most force is the enticement of Soma, the allure of it to the gods. The idea that mankind can coax a god, can control a god. But not just this. It also strikes me that our ancient ancestors did not see God as omnipresent, as always present. That it needed to be persuaded to come to its worshipers. As we saw in the hymns, there is a kind of invocation, a summoning ritual, if you will, necessary to ensure the God's presence. God is not everywhere, accessible all of the time, but must be invited, lured. And this is such a divergence from my Judeo-Christian upbringing that it's hard for me to put myself in that conceptual space at all. While I agree that prayer may go unanswered, I've really never imagined that they could go unheard. I never imagined that God is not a perpetual presence everywhere. As the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas said, It is I who am the all. Split a piece of wood and I am there. Lift up a stone and you will find me. See, and I'm not alone in this the hindus themselves in the holy book that will follow the vedas the, the upanishads there is an insistence that god is the well is 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 literally all things and is in all things in vedic times however this was not possible without soma soma would bring the gods into our presence the evidence of this was apparent of course when the priests consumed the Soma offering, see, immediately they saw the gods in their presence. It was the Soma that brought them. The gods weren't there until they ate the Soma, and now they're there. It is the Soma that can take you to the gods, or bring you, or bring the gods to you, rather. It is the Soma that pulls you from the bounds of earth and lets you dance in the divine world. It is Soma that allows you to forget. You're only a man. It is Soma that reveals that you too are God. As it says in the Upanishads, This Atman is Brahman. This man is God. It is for this reason that I believe mystical psychedelic experience is at the foundation of every religious tradition. It is the experience of ego dissolution that reveals to us that we are more than our mortal bodies. The experience of visions that reveal depths of reality infinitely beyond our everyday existence, and the experience of oneness that reveals some profound illusion that we exist beneath. It is in mystical experience that we feel the undeniable presence and potency of things unknown or unknowable. It is here we find God, and here we discover ourselves. And so our ancient ancestors drank the soma and found themselves amongst the gods, where they too are deathless creatures. They discover how they can conquer death, as even Jesus promised us. They conquer death just as the gods did by becoming God, by embracing the infinite within, by realizing that what we are, what we share with God, We mustn't fear death because we cannot die, because death is only a transition like the fractal kaleidoscopic images from our psychedelic visions. We are eternal as God is eternal. This Atman is Brahman.
0: Well, there you have it. That's one avenue explored, but infinitely more still to go.